Chapter Twelve, Part Three of Six Women and the Invasion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. Six Women and the Invasion by Gabrielle Yurta and Marguerite Yurta. Chapter Twelve, Part Three. The French airplanes came eight days running to drop bombs on the station at Léon. Six, seven, even ten were to be seen at the same time in the sky. They sparkled like jewels in the deep blue heavens. They well-nigh drove us mad. We jumped for joy in the garden, cheered them, and would gladly have thrown our hearts out to them. Fortunately, no outsiders were the witnesses of our frenzy, or we should have been found guilty. At Léon, two young girls were looking out of an upper window, and at the sight of the dear airplanes had screamed with joy and clapped their hands. Alas, some soldiers saw them from the street, and lodged an information against them. They were immediately arrested, tried, and sentenced to a month's imprisonment. We lived in hope for a whole week, the Gazette des Ardennes suppressed the French official reports, which they generally gave at full length, at least so they said, and we thought that the offensive, even in the Germans' opinion, bad fair to succeed. Then the cannon was silent once more, and our hearts sank within us. The fair weather was past, it was cold and rainy, and again, as the year before, we gathered every evening around the lamp, a horrid, evil-smelling, horse-oil lamp. Our circle was often out of spirits, our very gestures revealed weariness. Thirteen months of captivity lay heavy on us, and we had received no news whatever of those we loved. "'Oh, they are all dead,' sighed Colette. Yet we reposed the strictest confidence in our army. We felt sure victory would ultimately be ours.' but, oh, how long was victory in coming? It was cold and damp. We were afraid of the coming winter. Though the summer had brought us many hardships, yet we had made shift to live. But how could we manage in the bad season, when we had neither fuel nor vegetables? They had refused us permission to cut down trees in our own woods, though the invaders had massacred them at will. Besides, the Germans chose this very moment to threaten us with enforced service. We were told that we were no longer allowed to get other persons to supply our places as day laborers. The substitutes you find prove that they are still able-bodied, so they must work for their own account and you for yours. Oh, we moaned, is there no means of escape from this hell? We had made several attempts had addressed petitions and written letters that had been either thrown away or answered with a negative, and now they wanted to add penal servitude to imprisonment. They would oblige us to work from morning till night, in the mud, in the rain. I prefer going to Chalandry, Genevieve repeated. But we were excused and forced service and exempted from prison. A greater misfortune spared us these troubles. One morning I met in the passage two callers who did not ask for Jackdaw's legs. 
one of them very tall very thin and very stiff with japanese-like features bent himself down with a low bow his companion smaller but just as thin and stiff copied him hastily madame lisped the former in a faint voice i should like to see the owner of this house i showed both men in and rushed into my mother-in-law's bedroom everybody was in a stir what do they want this visit foretells no good of course it is the general's son colette said i had him pointed out to me a few days ago madame valene walked into the dining-room where the visitors were waiting on tiptoe we went into the passage and holding our breaths anxiously listened from behind the door as soon as my mother-in-law entered the room the officers got up and bowed themselves at right angles then the lisping voice began madame i am a staff officer i have been ordered to inform you of a decision that concerns you nearly ah behind the door left ajar we strained uneasy ears the speaker went on with his speech you are not ignorant madame of the painful necessities of the war and i am sorry to have to tell you that we are in need of your house oh it was genevieve who uttered this stifled cry madame valene had no voice to answer the orator continued we are in need of your house for a printing office it corresponds exactly with our wishes but it is my house i live in it with my family i have a right to stay in it madame i am very sorry but we want it to-day is thursday i think we can wait till monday next to take possession of the house but it is impossible my furniture oh the house must remain furnished but you may take away such pieces of furniture as the officers do not want but sir it is a disgrace genevieve unable to control her indignation any longer had pushed the door open thus unmasking our group and had entered the list her invasion slightly disturbed the officer it is a disgrace you pretend that you don't make war upon civilians and you turn five women out of doors at the beginning of the winter you offend against the law of nations but it is your habit i know you by your handiwork wholly unmoved the executioner replied i see you are excited and i shall not repeat what i have just heard what indeed you may repeat it if you like i should not be afraid to say so to anybody always calm and stiff and lisping the japanese blonde went back to what he was saying you will be quieter by and by i said we want the house to be free on monday next as we may stay in france for months and even for years it is our duty to settle things as well as can be it is our right i am sorry this is disagreeable for you but it is war when he had done talking he bowed himself to the ground his companion immediately did the like and both withdrew in a death-like sentence we listened to the retreating steps to the gate slammed to and then burst out into lamentations a fortnight after we were in leon the dear old house the garden the furniture were all violated lost as nothing else kept us in morny we had asked leave to go to leon which by way of compensation had been granted to us so we should not be bound to enforced service 
and we could make up for the tediousness of the winter by devouring all the books in the town library and above all we should not see plundered and given over to the beasts the beloved old house embellished by our love where the family had lived for several generations where my husband and my sisters-in-law had been born where they had spent their childhood we should not see the looking-glasses cracked by awkwardness or malice the hangings splashed with beer the carpets torn up the pieces of furniture burnt one after another for firewood according to the whims of the servants we should not see the officers walking two by two under our lime trees in our long alleys edged with box the box beneath which we hid our easter eggs the rumour of our expulsion spread abroad and presently we heard the reason of it jacob the linguist the pompous talker not to say the chatterbox told the lantois the ladies troubles are due to an officer's vengeance lieutenant boubenpec had a personal grudge against them he is the nephew of the brigade major and he thought it amusing to give these ladies a little lesson very kind indeed herr boubenpec but we know what a pretty thing is german vengeance and it gets home and after all life was more easily bearable in leon than in the country friends of ours who lived near the port d'ardon let us have a little apartment in their house our windows overlooked the country and as usual we could watch the bursting of shells the captive balloons and the turning beacons horse oil was faithful to our lamps and we used turf to heat our rooms i recommend this fuel to those who have a love of dust and smoke the question of food was hard but not harder than in morny meat was scarcely to be had the people dimly remembered the shape of an egg the colour of butter or oil or grease or milk babies i know fed on vegetable soup alone from six weeks of age the american board of relief distributed provisions similar to those we had enjoyed in morny two hundred and fifty grams of bread a day a little rice dry vegetables from time to time a bit of bacon besides green vegetables were to be had at the green grocers but we were forbidden to buy more than ten kilograms of potatoes a head per month at morny the germans had generously distributed twenty kilograms a head but half of them were rotten and then the population had been told that they had received their winter supply what we appreciated most in the town was the calmness of the nights where superior officers are quartered subalterns are obliged to save appearances and to conduct their drunken revelries in private we had no more brutal intrusions to fear we dreaded no perquisitions as we had lost everything and the aspect of so many houses close to one another gave us an impression of security long since forgotten yet how sad the town looked many houses had been emptied according to the germans whims furniture bedding linen clothes had been carried away the officers loaded the women who devoted themselves to soothe the boredom of the war with presents chosen from among this booty they adorned their apartments with things they had taken from all quarters of the town and if they did not get from the houses of the absent what they wanted they applied to those who were still there thus it was that a sergeant and four men once came to the house of the friends who had received us to fetch away a set of drawing-room furniture 
protestations were of no avail. I have my orders. Make out an invoice, take it to the commandateur, and a note of hand will be delivered to you. To any complaint which the wronged owner might make, an officer answered, I have but one word of advice to give you. Keep quiet and hold your tongue. The streets always swarmed with officers and soldiers on foot and on horseback. All shops were open by order of the Germans, but there was nothing to be sold in most of them. No articles of food were to be had, and the stock of shoes, materials, and clothes was nearly exhausted by the needs of the people and by frequent requisitions. In November all silk goods had been requisitioned, even ribbons above ten centimeters breadth. Many empty shops, which had been plundered after the departure of the owners, had been laid hold of by German civilians, who had lost no time in bringing their little trade to France. Thus you might admire a stationer's and two bookseller's shops, a jeweler's, various kinds of paltry stuff, a boot and shoe warehouse, a hairdressing salon, and so on. These patriotic establishments were always thronged with customers, in uniform, of course. The commandanteur sold officially in a shop thus installed Belgian lace of great beauty, marvels of point, Brussels, Bruges, Mechelin. After a month it was offered for sale in the town hall alone, and so the sight of these treasures was kept back from French eyes. The officers scrambled for this lace, which, in spite of high prices, sold wonderfully well. For the rest, military men of all ranks spent a great deal of money, and a French jeweler told us that private soldiers often spent upon gold chains and rings all the money they possessed. Was it a way to convert their paper money into something safer? Later on, they were forbidden to pay for their purchases in silver, or in German notes, and the tradesmen were not allowed to receive anything from the soldiers but municipal bank notes, and were bound to give back only German or French money. These rules were a great hindrance to business. In the autumn of 1915, the magnanimous high-sold military authorities decreed that the persons who had concealed wine, well-hidden wine alone had escaped being requisitioned, would avoid close searches and severe punishments by making a statement of the quantity they possessed. Afraid and tired out, many people complied, and handed over what they had so long kept out of sight, and thousands of bottles went down the throats of our tormentors. More serious was the proclamation which granted a delay to the French soldiers still in the invaded territory. The blockade had taken a great many of them by surprise, and had prevented them from reaching the French line. They wore civil clothes and lived under an assumed name. Some of them had surrendered at the beginning of the invasion. Others had been discovered and shot. But the new regulation enabled those who were hidden to give themselves up until the 20th of November. From that date, every French soldier caught in invaded territory would be looked upon as a spy and be immediately shot. As many as eighty surrendered before the stated day, and, oh, desolation, the very day after they arrested, in a suburb of the town where he lived disguised as a workman, a French officer, a captain. We read on the bills stuck up in the streets that he had been shot in the citadel.
Another announcement threatened the villagers more than the townspeople. It intimated that every criminal attempt made at any point of the railroads would immediately bring terrible reprisals upon the inhabitants of the neighboring villages. Whether guilty or not, the unhappy wretches would be driven from their houses if the military authorities thought proper. The women would be taken away, and the men enrolled in the gangs of laborers. Besides, such hostages as the Germans selected might be shot. On the other hand, the invaders were always in readiness to drain the country of the little money that was left. Many means were at their disposal. Fines were showered down upon the towns and villages. If a French airplane dropped bombs on the Leon station, the town was quickly condemned to pay upwards of 100,000 francs. In October, to mark, no doubt, the anniversary of the German occupation, the invaded were warned that they would have to pay a second contribution of war. The chief authorities of the communes were told that those under their charge would soon get into the habit of paying tribute, very likely every quarter, to the conquerors. And when all the money has thus been wrung from all purses, well, you will but have to issue municipal notes which you will give to us, the Prussians. So when the war is at an end, when you have all been eaten out of house and home, you will all the same be our debtors. They were just as ingenious in fooling the farmers. In that year, 1915, the peasants had tilled the fields themselves. But the Germans are scrupulously honest, as everyone knows. We are going, they said, to pay you for your trouble and your corn. You will receive twenty francs a hectare splendid amend rich indemnity morney was entitled to eighteen thousand francs yes the germans went on but you remember that old fine of yours which you never paid entirely besides there is the quarter's contribution to the war and a thousand francs fine imposed for a passport that was not visaed in short when it is all added up you owe to us eight hundred francs the civilians who had to listen to these speeches hung their heads. The account was right. They could not plead false arithmetic. Two and two always make four, especially when the German army maintains it. This gave heart to the Prussians to go still further. Let us talk of the future. Next year we shall cultivate the fields ourselves. Of course it is but right that you should remunerate us for so doing. Our tillage is worth fifty-six francs a hectare. Besides, you must pay us our expenses, three hectoliters of seed a hectare, at the highest possible price. We will be paid beforehand. The sum's total was ninety-two thousand francs for the village of Morny alone, and there were about fifteen hundred inhabitants left in Morny, all in utter poverty after the exactions of which they had been victims. Fortunately, the Prussians put the remedy at the sufferer's disposal. If you have no money left, you possess good pieces of land which you might pledge. We have just founded a German-Belgian bank in Brussels, which will lend you some money. These honest offers were made in the month of December, but we do not know how things befell, for the dawn rose again for us. Convoys were organized for a second time. We blessed the number of the Gazette des Ardennes, which, at the end of November, brought us the good news. Twenty thousand persons were to be chosen in the invaded territory, 
first among the poor and the sick, and the people whose usual residence was on the other side of the front. We feared lest our demand should be rejected, and we left no stone unturned to prevent refusal. At length we were told that our names had been put down on the list of the emigrants. It was the end of the year. Colette still hoped to see the French come back before our departure. But alas, nothing of the kind happened. Christmas, New Year's Day, were kept as they had been kept a year before, sadly by the French, merrily by the Germans. Then the month of January, cold and foggy, glided by, and we were still kept waiting. At length the day of the departure came. The convoy, the mass of emigrants, were strikingly like the herd we had witnessed the year before. Yet I think we saw more sick people. There were many who coughed. When once we were all seated in a carriage, we five, with two little orphan girls, who went to meet their grandmother at Lyon, the train moved off at last, and such an emotion seized upon us that no one uttered a word. The first time our flight had been stopped at Chevrigny, a second time at Jouvy. How far should we go now? We had been told that there would be no quarantine. Was it true? We were traveling through a gray country. The night fell, and the dawn rose again. We were in Germany. We made many a long stop in the stations. Soldiers distributed coffee and soup in the carriages. We had taken with us, put by from our pittance of a whole week, dry toast, barley coffee, and licorice wood tea. As to tasting the soup, no thank you. We peered through the windows, but did not see anything worth looking at. Towns and villages were gloomy. In the stations, boys of about thirteen did the work of railway porters. The night fell again. We reached the black forest, which was white with snow. We wound our way up a mountain, and caught sight of a vale far below us. The branches of the fir trees bent beneath their pure burden, and the cloak spread over the ground was so dazzling that it gave light to the starless night. Houses were to be seen everywhere, grouped together in hamlets and villages, or standing apart in the mountain, good-natured-looking houses nestled in the snow, with gaily lit-up windows. Then I cast my eyes about me. My companions were slumbering, and the flickering light brought out the paleness of their uneasy faces. One of the little girls was coughing, and we could hear other people who seemed to echo back the same sad sound. The long train that rolled along was full of wretchedness and misery, and from those snug little houses, from those towns we had just crossed, came the soldiers who had rushed upon our country. From thence the plunderers, the drunkards, the debauchees, the executioners. From thence came those who have carried dismay into a peaceful country, who have converted a happy industrious population into a fearful enslaved herd. May you be cursed, cursed! And there, in the big houses, in the towns, live still the accomplices. They are all there. The lamp is bright, the stove lit up, dinner is over, they are smoking their pipes and reading their papers. And in the invaded territory, thousands and thousands of people have gone to bed at six because they have no light, no fire, and no dinner. And the others are there. They read the papers. They praise whatever the German army does. They admire the German soldiers. 
they approve all high-handed measures and those who are at home as well as those away from home lift up their eyes towards the sky and thank god for not being like the rest of mankind ah no you are not like the rest of mankind could we shout it loud enough is there any cry that might pierce your dull conscience are there maledictions of sufficient vehemence to penetrate the carapace in which you have wrapped up your understanding ah i wish i were hundred-tongued and gifted with more than human genius the better to proclaim your infamy the better to cry out upon the sufferings with which you do not cease to load us i can but repeat what i have seen what i have heard what i have borne i shall never be weary of lifting up a corner of the veil in which you wrap yourselves you dissemblers you false-faced false-hearted men on your features of brutality and violence you wear a benignant canting mask you assume a candid astonished look and turn round to the neutrals to europe to all civilized powers saying we are charged with evil deeds look if it is like us you resemble the woman of whom the bible says she wipes her mouth and says i have done no harm you reject with a shrug of your shoulders those of your actions which might make you uneasy your accommodating consciences do away with them and they immediately fall into oblivion but we are sure to remember what you forget you have shown yourselves openly and we know your real faces only too well their unrelenting harshness their falseness their incomprehension and in your double face we spit out the horror and scorn you rouse in us and yet we admire you your presence was attended with murder fire acts of violence and plunder you have displayed a powerful splendid hideous bestiality and it is that bestiality which we admire in you do not reject the title of barbarians it is the only one that suits you you might have been fine barbarians but for a long time to come you will be only shabby civilized men i had rather see you stand on a pedestal and hear you shout exaggerating your misdeeds overstraining your cruelty your vices your animality yes we are barbarians and then thus you might have been great and since you are strong since you know how to fight you would have been like a hero who defends himself as he is and not like a little girl about to be whipped who tries to deny her fault and weeps believe me you will cut no figure in history as saints where your horses have trodden the grass will not spring up again for long so make up your minds unmask yourselves and cry out we are the barbarians the train had reached the highest point of its journey all the vale and the slopes of the mountains were flecked with a thousand brilliant points they were the windows of the houses more smiling than ever a few moments passed and then a kind of excitement came over us were we approaching the swiss frontier we had still to wait in our carriages for the morning long hours together we should have to wait for our turn to be searched and allow the nurses to examine the soles of our shoes and the hems of our garments but what did it matter we were in raptures it was over our martyrdom was at an end we were in switzerland we were free 
a fraternal welcome cheered us all along the road here was rich zurich whose prosperity dazzled our eyes then came Bern and fair geneva at the end of its blue lake here was at last oh my heart do not throb so violently here she was france it was france unsullied france where no germans breathe living active france the france that will crush the enemy we saw mont blanc watch over the frontier then we came within sight of the valley of a rocky land and then of the plain the plain as vast as the hope which filled our hearts and now that we had reached france now that we rode in a french carriage we sat close to one another and with tears in our eyes looked at the landscape we felt heavy with an overwhelming joy and we waited for the morrow not knowing whether it would bring happiness or mourning end of chapter twelve part three End of Six Women and the Invasion by Gabrielle Yurta and Marguerite Yurta Recorded by Rita Boutros